Welcome forward. I'm your host, Cassie Betts on KBLA Talk 1580, and you're listening to Talk Tech to Me Uncut, where technology is the new sexy, black geeks are the new superheroes, and South Central LA is the new tech mecca. On today's episode, Behind the Game, we are going to be talking about the future of video gaming, animation, AR, VR, MR, XR, all the R's. <laughs> And more with multidimensional creative and change maker Eric Elder. But first, allow me to reintroduce myself, like Hope said. Uh, I am Cassie Betts. I run uh, a nonprofit called MISA, Made in South LA. So, this is for all you new listeners out here that may not know. Uh, you know, what this tech show is all about and, and what we're doing here in the community. So Made in South LA, we're a tech academy. Uh, we teach software engineering primarily, but all the things, uh, all things technology, like the ARs, the VRs, the MRs, the XRs, uh, digital marketing, we partner with other community organizations um, like Vermont Slauson's Best Buy Teen Tech Center. We partner with YoWatts, YWCA to help pay our youth. Um, once we train them, we hire them. Um, we train them in coding, web design, robotics, real estate and financial literacy, believe it or not, which is the favorite class. Shout out to Lisa Gillett. Um, and we have a uh, resiliency resiliency class with Candy Lewis of Positive Results Corporation and also She Ready Foundation, uh, Tiffany Haddish's crew. Shout out to Theon, Dr. Gordon. Um, and then also we have uh, Marty making a reality that's yours. It is our creative agency like like boomerang y'all you know so <laughs> we're an ad agency we're a software agency we make apps we make we make websites um we do paid apprenticeships on the job training uh and things like that so next up let's get into the tea and tech i want to talk about uh the crypto founders that are dying mysteriously within weeks of each other is it a conspiracy or is it a coincidence or is it intentional we don't know. So three leaders in the cryptocurrency space have died within the last few weeks and social media answers are social media people users are asking for answers. MakerDAO's Nikolai Mushigian 29 drowned in San Juan, Puerto Rico on October 28th, just hours after tweeting that the CIA and Mossad had a green light on his head. There's been no evidence of foul play as per the authorities, but, you know, we're all given the side eye. Amber Group's T.T. Coolender was 30 years old, passed away in his sleep with no reports of any health issues. This was on November 23rd. The first one was October 28th. That was Nikolai Mushigian. Then no- no- November 23rd, T.T. Coolender. No further details have been released about his death. Then Libertex, Libertex Group's Oh, hold on. Vyacheslav, Vyacheslav Taran was 53, perished, died in a helicopter crash in France on November 25th. Okay, this is days after Kulinder. Um, According to reports, the helicopter was ma- was manned by an experienced pilot. It was good weather. There was no issues. It was very mysterious crash. The second passenger was booked but canceled at the last minute. <laughs> I mean, come on, y'all. That sounds real suspect, right? Um, there was buzz online that Tehran had ties to Russian intelligence, but his wife shut that down via IG posts. You know, so it must be true. 
Uh, Tehran is the most recent casualty in a series of mysterious deaths involving Russian businessmen. Someone on Twitter actually tweeted, how how is it? How does three to four crypto leader founders suddenly die within a month of each other? We don't need NCIS to see what's going on here. And these aren't the only crypto cryptic crypto deaths in 2018. There was a few deaths. There were two crypto tycoons that passed away with mysterious circumstances surrounding her surrounding their deaths. First, Gerald 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 Cotton, 30 founder of what was once Canada's biggest crypto exchange. Quadriga CX died suddenly while honeymooning with his wife in India on December 9th, 2018. That is so sad. The details surrounding his death were so odd that people actually accused him of faking his own death because he owed 115,000 clients uh, money. He owned about a hundred. Well, there's still $169 missing. So apparently he was the only one with the keys to millions of crypto assets. He signed a will nine days before his death, allegedly his alleged death, <laughs> leaving all his wealth to his wife. Conveniently, rumors on the Internet have spread that Cotton may, in fact, still be alive, living off embezzled funds, probably somewhere in, you know, some beach somewhere, some island somewhere. There's actually a Netflix documentary that you can check out. It's called Trust No One. I'm gonna check that out. I want to. I want to know. I want to know more about that. Uh, Matthew Mellon, fifty-four, was a troubled banking heir who made millions from XRP. Y'all, y'all, y'all know about XRP. XRP. He died from a heart attack on April sixteenth, twenty eighteen, while checking into Can- Cancun, Mexico's drug rehab. So Mil- Mellon had a serious drug addiction. So he was addicted to OxyContin, which led him to take eighty pills per day. So bruh man was taking eighty pills per day. It was costing him hundred k. Per month, but he was determined to beat his addiction. He held XRP coins valued at upwards of $200 million, um, which at its peak was $1 billion, But he was the only person who could access these cryptocurrencies. His family is scrambling now to find his cryptocurrency fortune that has mysteriously disappeared. Something weird has happened to all his crypto money. His family can't find it. That's what one of the family members says. This is definitely this whole... This whole tea is definitely giving discovery investigation vibes. There has been tons of speculation about the bizarre deaths of these crypto founders. Is there more than MCI? I don't know. It's all very scary. This is why y'all can't tell people. Like when, when I got put up on crypto game, the person who told me was like, don't tell people what you buy. Don't be posting about it. Don't be saying it. Don't be talking about it. Like, cause one day that bad boy could hit like, you know, a hundred million and people are going to come for you. So, yeah, you got to keep that on the low. You start buying crypto, y'all keep it on the low. I mean, just in general, you should keep your money on the low. You know, like, you know, people know you're making money. And I know I understand when we get funds as startups, we have to tell, you know, the world, oh, we we raised $3 million and everybody thinks that's so much money. And then you get all these phone calls and $3 million really ain't nothing in the world of startup (laughs) and tech. When we come forward, we're going to talk more tech with creative media consultant and educator, Eric Elder on Talk Tech to Me Uncut here on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. On today's show, Behind the Game, we'll be exploring all things gaming, all things animation, and the future of emerging technologies like AR, VR, XR, MR, all the R's, like I said, with Eric Eldar. <laughs> 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 yeah, I see what I did there. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm special, y'all. <laughs> With Eric Elder, a multidimensional change maker, creative educator, and entrepreneur. A little bit, a little bit about our guest, Eric. He started his career as a 2D animator for some of TV's most iconic shows like MTV's Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, and The Simpsons. Wow. Okay. He is the founder and executive producer of OW. Do I pronounce it? OW? OW. Online Worlds Entertainment, creative media consultant, speaker, and educator. When not working as a professional animator, he spent 15 years working with the Art Institute as an instructor and created the most successful video game production training programs in the system. He now spends most of his time as a media arts consultant, designing training programs and production pipelines for animation, video game, and XR production. Please welcome to the stage, the KBLA stage, (laughs) Eric Elder. How you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Cassie. That's great. That's great. So let me ask you, when did you first fall in love with tech? Um... Probably since I was a kid. I mean, I I got a Atari twenty six hundred when I was like seven years old. Atari. Um, so yeah, I think that was like my first love. I had you know one of the first cartridge game systems, and then I also had uh, the Commodore products, the first like home computers that you could attach to your TV, the Commodore Vic twenty and Commodore sixty four. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I remember I used to have like magazines back then with code that you could type in and, and do like really simple games. Okay. So, yeah, I was in it since you know like seven or eight years old, I guess. All right. So, what's your origin story? How did how did it go from that to like at what point were you like I could do this for a living? You know, did you meet somebody? <laughs> did uh, you take a class? <laughs> yeah. Well, I went to I went to school. I mean, my mom was a uh, an art teacher in the Philadelphia school system. Originally from Philly. Uh, for 40 plus years so um, you know I got the art and the education from her Um, I think when I first realized I could do this for a living was you know this was pre-internet days so uh, I went to college in Philadelphia the the, uh, Philadelphia College of Art later became University Arts Uh, this was one like maybe the first art college in the country Mm -hmm. Um, so I went there and I Originally took illustration, but they had a photo, film, and animation department, and uh, I took the elective my freshman year. Okay. Uh, photo, film, and animation. After I hated the illustration elective, I thought that's what I was going to do. I thought I was going into fashion illustration, actually. Oh wow, you're and, going uh, in my lane, yeah. <laughs> my world. Okay. Yes. yes. And I, I took the uh, I took the elective, and I, when I realized you could do animation for a living, I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. That is amazing. Yeah. So what was your first animation job? Uh, my first animation job actually was at, there was only one animation studio in Philadelphia. It was called the Production House. Okay. And I got a job there as like an intern when right. I was in college. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, was getting coffee. Exactly. <laughs> hey! Exactly. But <laughs> a, another, a, a couple of my other first jobs where I was assistant teacher uh, at my, the school I graduated from. So right after I graduated, for a large part to stay, you know, keeping access to the very expensive animation equipment. It's not like, you know, today there's all these, like, great free softwares that, right. that kids could download on their computers and, and use. This was, like, you know, back in the 80s and, you know, cameras and, and film and everything. Um, but my first big gig was at, at MTV Animation up in, in New York. That was a pretty you awesome You think experience. it's big? Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. Okay, wait. I need to. I need the story. I need the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so so actually, quick story came 
kind of from my relationship with the schools, there was a recruiter. Uh, she was a producer from Beavis and Butthead, and she came down to recruit uh, for talent. And she came to both schools. Actually, at that point, I had started because of I got recommended from my teaching job at the art uh, at the University Arts. Mm-hmm. There was another animation school that needed desperately animation teachers, and I got recommended over there. So I started teaching at the Art Institute in Philly. Okay. And that's how I got introduced to the you know the Art Institute system of schools. And so I was teaching animation there, and um, I I walked the producer from the Art Institute over to the University Arts, so mm. she wouldn't get lost. And on the way over, she was like, "Hey, what do you do?" Right. And I and I of course I just happened to have my portfolio. With just me. happened to have your portfolio with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, this is not online. This is like an yeah, actual. Yeah, this is an actual physical portfolio. <laughs> you, did Again, you know you were pre- going to meet her? Or yeah, you... I knew. I was okay, gonna, I was going to say you just her. walk around with but, it every day. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to take one of the spots from the kids. So I was oh. like, you know, if I, I'm going to be ready in case she asked. So I was ready. I had my stuff. And really, what what got me hired though was was not. My, I mean, the work was fine. She was like, yeah, you can definitely draw. Um, but she said, how did you get your start in the industry? And I said, well, I work for this guy uh, named Peter Rosenthal, this producer who was like an original MTV producer. Right. Um, I did. That was like my first animation directing job. And she said to me, um, it, I, that was the first guy that I worked for in the industry. And, you had and, the job. And, and anybody who could say that name with a smile on their face, they must be like a cool person. So right. basically she hired me on the spot. Wow. Just for that. Yeah. That's how I go. That's how I be sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. That's how I be sometimes. Relationships, right? So, like working on these animated series, working for MTV, you know, like what is what was that like? What what does it take for somebody to to get there, to get to that level? What you got to do every day? What was that like? Uh, And how was it for a black man, even from that perspective? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, the thing that blew me away about. I mean, particularly Beavis and Butthead, because, you know, again, it, it wasn't fantastic art. It's a very crude-looking mm-hmm. show. Right. But <laughs> deceptively, and, and this carried over to King of the, the Hill as well, it was also very difficult. Like, you're, you're trained in a certain way, you know, to draw kind of like, in a you know, the, the Disney method, or okay. the, like there's these They're kind pretty. of, you know, <laughs> Preston Blair style. Yeah, like there's, mm-hmm. like there's all these conventions to drawing animation that make it easier to draw and, and easier to animate and and look better on the screen. Um, and, you know, Beavis and Butthead and, and King of the Hill did not follow those they conventions sure at all. They so it was kind of anti. <laughs> but it was amazing to see how talented, like I was blown away by how talented the crew was on the show. Um, and, you know, there was a few other uh, brothers up there. I, I remember... You know, again, these guys went on to do some amazing uh, stuff uh, afterwards. But I remember it was a brother named Kimsey, uh, Kimson Albert, who was working on a pilot for, for an animated show that, that unfortunately never came out. But they did the pilot for a Bootsy Collins animated series oh, back okay. then that would have been on the TV. Dang, it never came out? It never came out. They just Dang. did the pilot. It was pretty cool. Um, we need to find that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, really didn't, I really didn't encounter, like, any you know, overt racism or, or notice anything like that actually happened later in my career, actually on, on King of the Hill was when, and when I came out to Hollywood was when I kind of noticed. Right. So know, in Philly, it was, was it Philly in Philly? It was in New York. In New York. Okay. It was very liberal. Like I, yeah, I really didn't. I was actually amazed at how, you know, again, my end, the person who recommended me, it was like 
you know, just everybody just treated me with open arms and was, was very, you know, helpful and, and showing me everything. And, and yeah, beautiful. it was just a great experience. Yeah. That's beautiful. So you didn't have issues. So you came out here to mm-hmm. LA. What happened when you came out here mm. and what show was that on? Yeah. Well, on King of the Hill, I just noticed. And again, I probably wouldn't have noticed except I had, um, a, uh, my, my roommate, um, was white was a young young he was actually one of my students from philly oh, okay and we wound up on a show that's like a, a, a another kind of like longer story but we you know long story short we both got hired on king of the hell at the same time and i noticed uh after well first of all there was no more than two or three black people working at the studio at a time uh-huh. and um uh i just noticed that like you know the the opportunities that that he was being offered right, were not student. being offered to me, my student. <laughs> right, right, right. And 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 he he actually like it was. This he is pointed what really out. Brought it home yeah. was we were just like sitting in the living room one day, and he was just like, I don't understand, Eric. He was like, you know, you are uh, like so dependable and reliable, and you know your work ethic and and i don't understand like what like what why is it that they're not you know prepping you to be a director right right, right. what is it about you that's different than yeah, everybody else yeah I don't and he was it. like ting well, I, I, <laughs> did, I did like this and he you was did like, like this he was like no that can't be it no they always think we crazy when yeah. we bring that up yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so did he finally like understand yeah he got okay it. good he got all right so how did you deal with that what was the did well, you go in there and be like, yo, y'all need to promote me? What happened? Tell no, me. no. Actually, I did a <laughs> I couple can't. things. Like, one, one thing I did was, I so the the producer on the show at the time, um, like, I noticed that, like, my name, like, again, it was great being on a, you know, top 10 show and, and, and all that stuff and, and have my name on the credits. and uh, But I noticed that my name was really small in the back. You know, at the end of the show, it went by really fast. Oh, uh-uh. And his name was, like, really big at the beginning of the show. Right. The producer. The producer. Okay. And and he had this big office, and he got drove. And I was like, I don't think I want to be an animator. Like, once I achieved this goal of becoming an animator, I was like, you know, I think I want to be a producer. Uh- <laughs> I, I think. But not just because of all that stuff. Right, right, I just, like, right. when I started to get what a producer does, I, I actually thought that I would be better at that. And I yeah. think I actually am a better producer than, than an animator or an artist. Okay. Um, and so I, I actually went to his office. I, I set up a meeting with him and I said, how do you, how do you get to do what you do? How can I take your job? <laughs> Essentially. And I was actually amazed. Like he actually kind of broke it down to me, yeah. like how he, you know, kind of came up working at Disney and, and mostly what he said was, you know, basically you, you gotta, you gotta be able to be a leader. Right. You got to be able to lead a group of, of other people. And that's how you, you know, move up in the ranks. And if you do a good job at that and you're successful at that, you'll keep moving up. Okay. Um, so that was one thing I got. But then I also realized that given what I noticed about the the subtle racism that I was experiencing, um, that it would take me and, – and even without that, it could take – years if not decades to move up to where you know to to a producer level like mm. it's one thing to become a director but to become like a producer an executive producer i just thought like man this is going to take a really long time and so i said um i had started teaching on my breaks from the show so we would always have a hiatus every year between january and, and march which was perfect because they had opened up a new art, art institute 
in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and they had uh, they were at the point where they had an animation program and they needed instructors. And I already knew people over there. I knew the dean because he was from the Philly school. He was like an advisor there, and he wanted me to come over. And after working at MTV and after working on King of the Hill. I had so much more to bring to my teaching because I hadn't worked as a professional animator oh, when yeah. I started teaching, you know, other than like, I know at this a smaller life. studio. <laughs> it's like yeah. you, you teach before you really know how to right. do it, and, and then you learn how to do it. You're like, oh, I've been teaching all wrong. <laughs> you're like, or, yeah. or you're like, I, let me add to this, right? Yeah. 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 It, it was just like I just I, I had no much, so much more to bring. Like I right. had real, those real production methodologies like from that were fresh from the industry, you know, like the latest and greatest instead of – you know, knowing how to do things out of books and, and, you know, again, animation is much different than, than game design as far as tradition is concerned. But, um, so yeah, so I loved that first. And again, I had taken a break from teaching. So that first quarter, I mean, I headed out of the park. I got story, I taught a storyboard class and, and the, the, the students were just raving about me. So that led to an offer to full time teach at this, uh, at this new campus, and I, I had already worked like three seasons on King of the Hill. I'm like, I'm not. I had got an Emmy award. I'm like, I'm not. Gonna, oh, oh, I'm not. We missed get, that in our in our <laughs> intro. Like, I'm not. Gonna Iman, get, we want to talk, girl. You missed that. How did you miss that, Iman? <laughs> our producer. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to get, get okay. any any more out of this situation. Uh, so if I go to teaching and they give me all the production classes mm-hmm. I could kind of use this teaching I could have more time to work on my own stuff and I could also you know practice producing get some animated shorts under my belt and then I could pop back into the industry as a producer maybe in like three years or something like that right yeah the problem was I had way too much fun I was completely autonomous the video game program came along mm-hmm. I got the opportunity to uh uh, take over the animation program or the video game program. I chose the game program and I had such a blast. I wound up being there for 10 years. Wow. Okay. So when we come forward, we're going to talk about how you got into, how you segued that into game development um, on KBLA talk 1580. You're listening to talk tech to me uncut. We've got a lot to talk about. More of KBLA Talk. Welcome forward. You're now tapped into Talk Tech to Me Uncut. I'm your host, Cassie Betts, on KBLA Talk 1580. 1-800-920-1580 is the number to call in Talk Tech to me or our guests. We're in the studio here with Eric Elder. He is a change maker, educator, entrepreneur, Emmy Award winner. (laughs) 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 Just found that. Let me add that to the list. Uh, So, yeah. As promised, we were t- going to talk about game development. How did yes. you segue into video game development? Yeah, so uh, again, I had this choice to take either animation or game, and I chose game for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, because I just saw how how games. This was was back in uh, uh, two thousand. Uh, yeah, the year was it two thousand? Yeah, two th- the year two thousand. Yeah, oh my god, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started. I started oh, in ninety seven. So this was, was the year. this was the year two thousand. <laughs> two thousand was a good year. <laughs> um, we're in twenty two now. So this was yeah twenty years ago. Wow. And so we were one of the first programs to offer a bachelor's degree in game development. Uh, we were one of the first to train people on Unreal game engine. So this was before Unreal was an official game engine. It was actually still a video game in a box that just had a. Uh, a uh, engine building or a mod system. And this um, is at where the art institute. This was at the art institute. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, we were, we were really lucky because uh, we were, like, right next door to uh, Activision, like, literally on, the, like, the same <laughs> business park. This is Santa Monica? This is in Santa Monica, nice. like 31st Street. Right, um, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, EA was a couple miles away. Uh, Sony Santa Monica was a couple miles up the street. So we were like just in, you know, they'd say, say location, location, location. We were in the uh-huh. perfect place. Perfect location. Uh, for all these AAA game companies. And we, we exploited that fully. Um, we had the most successful video game program and the whole uh, AI system. Uh, so I, you know, success meant you know having the biggest program we I, at one point i had uh what was it 300 students in my program um cool. at the time we had a 90 to 100 percent placement rate um in triple a games so you know my graduates are out there in the industry now working on you know some of the biggest games out there call of duty um you know god of war which mm. one game of the year they they the team just celebrated because the new god of war is coming out um, and these guys got their start in, in our program. So I'm, I'm really proud of all of them. They're, they're doing amazing. And now they're like, you know, 15, 20-year vets and their leads, right. you know, on their team. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. You can, pull, you can pull on them. Do you pull on them for a mentorship oh, to come back? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I'm definitely right. going to be leveraging them as I move forward and, and the work that I'm going to be doing in the next couple of years, um, you know, having some talks with the community college system in L.A., um, and, you know, just taking kind of the programming that I did uh, back then, um, just taking it to another level mm-hmm. and, and making it more accessible to black and brown kids. I think that really needs to be the focus, uh, right. you know, going forward. Um, really, like right now where, you know, the, the, the sad statistic is that um, only 2% of us, only 2% black in the video game industry behind the scenes. Maybe. But we consume, we consume more video <laughs> games and play games more then- than any other ethnic group. Of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's how it is with like everything we right. do. <laughs> we are consumers. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we need to we need to be creators. And this is why um, I started Made in South L.A. Mm-hmm. So what I, I love about you is that you are still teaching, you know, like yeah. for all intents and purposes, you have made it as a black man in America. OK, <laughs> you have made it like you are there. You can go get your six figure plus job, you know, have your, you know, equity. You could start. You don't have to come back why do you why do you come back to teach well you know i i do it and again i i don't i don't have the time actually because the the bulk of my time is doing consulting either educational consulting or production consulting mm. um i mean i do i do produce games for a living that's that's really my bread and butter right um uh when i do teach uh really the the things that i like in, in terms of like a class are the two things that I love the most to teach with is game design um, and world building. Um, so those are the things I'll go into the classroom. But again, like, you know, teaching for a semester uh, for 16 weeks is, is a real time commitment. I need to be a little more flexible. So I'm looking at, you know, smarter ways to do it. You know what I right. mean? Again, I, I find that I, I teach best when I do it as a producer. So like you're I, actually building something, making something. Exactly. So like, I love that. That's our lab, motto. Exactly. So we do. Exactly. Yeah. Like what are we building? And that, yeah. And that's that's how you learn. Like that's yeah. that's been the secret sauce of my success. That, that's why all these guys, 
you know, got these jobs in the, in the industry Same. was because I just made a class mm-hmm. where they made video games. Yeah. And know? I think when, when we met uh, years ago and yeah. that was something that impressed me about you was that like you had more of a lab with your classes. It wasn't yes. like a set curriculum. It was like we building stuff. Exactly. And then you had a, you know, some of your classes had a hundred percent placements and right. I was like, Oh, he is the man, you know? And, and I definitely, you know, pulled from that. I was inspired by um, your story. And that's what we do with Miss Le at the Best Buy Teen Tech Center is like, we're building things a lot, a lot of the time we're building actual websites. No better way to teach somebody how to do web develop, development than do actually develop websites exactly. you know and like no better way than teach someone game development to than to actually build games exactly. um so so how do you assemble the teams like how do you assemble teams to bring your artistic visions to life of your game development or whatever you're producing sure well you know again it's it's got to come from them i think i think um again being a producer slash instructor in one of these production environments it's really cr- about creating the space for the creativity to happen like you got everything's got to come from them i think so it's more Mm. about coaching it's more about mentoring it's more about steering things in a direction so that things get done and then you know the um making the connections happen so like you know and again this became a tradition like but on our very first project you know we had 20 25 people uh making a game we um we you know, again, mirror the, the the whole point of the class is to make it as close to a real production environment as possible. Love that. So, so that means we have to know what that is. Yep. That means we, you know, go to studios. I, you know, again, do game development myself. I hire instructors when I work with instructors that actually come from the industry. And I also used to do this thing called a a, a pack committee or professional advisory committee, where I would, you know buy lunch and invite you know a bunch of like programmers game developers game designers from various studios uh-huh. and have them come in and say what are you doing right now right what's your production methodology what's the the hot new thing you know um uh, how are you producing how are you giving out tasks you know basically everything about your workflow tell us about that and then we incorporate that into a classroom hmm. so i think that's the way to do it in terms of like you know how do you um, put a team together. Um, well, you, again, you work with who's in the room, right? Mm. So I got these so you got newbies, OGs, whoever's in the room, right? Mm. And and because you're training them, you're training them, but you're also giving them opportunities to try things out and and really um, asking them what it is that you want to do. Right. Mm. So if you want to be a game designer, like Mm. you do the game design, if you want to be an environmental artist then you do the environments and then as the game. Yeah. Well, like, keep going. Let's name some of the different like careers. There's there's there's, uh, somebody's got to do like, again, there's there's these different aspects to the game depending on what the project is. And so, you know, sometimes what's happening organically is we're saying, okay, well, um, in this game, we have these weapons, right? Uh-huh. So who's good at weapons? Who loves weapons? Right. So it's who like sketching do... the weapons, like the, it's the whole creating process. the weapons. So yeah, it's first you got to do the concept. So maybe maybe that's the same per- person, or maybe it's two different people. Maybe okay. you got somebody that just wants to do concept art, uh-huh. and so they're concepting all the weapons out. And okay. Then you got another person that wants to be a let's say prop 
uh, artist, okay. right? So they're the one that's going to model all of the weapons. Oh. That same person might texture them, or there might be somebody who really likes doing textures. Wow. And so they're going to be the texture so artist. So like a lot of jobs. We got textures. We got modeling. We got concepting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got so, writers, like the people who write the video yeah, game story. Yeah, who write the story. Um, yeah, there's all the different aspects. So it's it's really about, like, okay, these are all the things that need to get done on a project. Let's uh, talk to everybody in the room, find out like where their talent shines or what yeah. they're most interested in. This is this is one of the things that's really kind of important to look at too is like sometimes the thing that you're best at is not necessarily the thing that you're good at, mm. right? You might be really good at something and so you, you might need to do that for the job, right? but you might really love something else and that's the thing that you want to develop. And, right. and being able to distinguish that and and train a person and get them clear on what that is it's really important for their career path okay you know so okay when we come forward more talk tech to me uncut with eric elder talking about behind the game on the unapologetically progressive kbla talk 1580 we are in the studio here in south central la with eric elder eric i want to talk about let's talk about xr Yes. All the R's, A R B R X R M R. You know, yes, yes. <laughs> what what are they? What do they mean? How do they all relate? Tell, tell us about it. Yeah. Well, my definition of X R is it's it's the X reality, right? It's the it's the unknown, right? Okay. The most common f- forms are augmented reality, which is you know most people are familiar with Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. That's where you have a lens like your phone that you put up to the real world. And something happens on top of you get you information can see it or in information. Your phone. Exactly. Right. Okay. Um, VR is when you put the headset on. So, you know, like the Quest 2, the Oculus. Uh-huh. And that is when you're in a, um, a completely different environment. It's 360. Yep. Um, you're going to a different place, right? Okay. You're, not, you're not in the real world anymore. Mixed reality is kind of both, right? Mm-hmm. It's like mixing those two aspects together. Which you know, I think is a, a little more difficult to pull off. Well, in mixed um, reality, are what's the you, you, what's the tools? Is there VR glasses? Is there a phone? It, it could be either. It depends on on how it's it's implemented. Um, I think probably one of the coolest forms of of kind of mixed reality is more of like the kind of like um, open world experiences that you know we were starting to see get pretty popular before the pandemic. But I love that, like, you know, when you have the VR headset on and you can actually roam around like a real space. And so, you know, the 3D geometry or whatever is going in the game is mm-hmm. ma- mapped onto physical space. Mm-hmm. You know, things like the void where like you know, one of the coolest things I've ever done in VR was the, the, the Star Wars uh, void experience where, Ooh. you know, you're you're, um, you know, infiltrating this um, this empire fortress and you reach out for. Um, this weapon as you go in and you physically pick up the weapon yeah yeah and then you can shoot it and you're shooting storm troopers and they're actually reacting in real time Uh and you got a haptic vest on and so you're getting (laughs) shot and you can feel it right 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 that's you know that's that's mixed reality right that's having the real world and this kind of virtual reality happening at the same time that's very cool how would you say that the metaverse you know how is the metaverse revolutionizing ar and and gaming well, I would say it's not yet. I mean, again, a lot of people have different, you know, definitions on what the metaverse are as as far as these these different realities. I I firmly believe that it is coming. I don't think it's happening in the way that we kind of expected or anticipated. I think Ready Player One, which is like you know 
my one of my favorite pieces of fiction over the last you know what five or ten years it was whenever good. it came out that was I, dope. I, I think he did a really good job of predicting how things are going to play out um whatever you think about meta i think there's they they have definitely invested the most and i think they're still in the best position i don't know if, if ultimately they're going to win the metaverse uh, race or if it's going to be some other kind of startup or technology or one of the other big companies like microsoft or google is going to step in mm-hmm. i still think they're they're in the best position right now um i think how it's going to change things is that you know it's basically this it's like you know the internet changed the world right um the internet you got text you got video it went from you know screens on our desktop to now it's on our phone right the next step of that, everything that you see on the internet, I, I predict and I still strongly believe, is going to become a 3D space. Okay. And so in terms of like, you know, what you do with training people uh, to do websites, which is which is relevant and important right now, I, I what I'm looking to do is train people to make uh, 3D. 3D spaces mm. on the web, basically mm. these, these 3D immersive spaces. Okay. That's not so relevant right now because people aren't in mass in headsets or even doing stuff on their phone in augmented reality. Right. Yet. But yet. it is coming. Definitely. Definitely. So when we come forward, more talk tech to me uncut on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm here with Eric Elder talking about gaming behind the game. Eric, tell us what you have going on that people can tap into. What kind of programs, projects? How do we how do we get in touch with you and how, sure. do, we work, how do we work with you? Yeah, so um, the the two initiatives I'm really going to be focusing on going into 2023. One is I've been hot to do a like game design salon. Okay. So again, you know, we talked about you know teaching. I just I, I still love to teach, but again, I have to do it you know in a more uh, strategic way now, mm-hmm. giving you know the demands and all the things I'm working on. So this salon will not be a technically a class but kind of like an open forum i'll be teaching and 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 talking with young people people about game design uh we're going to be doing this at the the sola tech and entrepreneurship center on fridays and working with a, a great nonprofit called um better youth nice so we're going to be doing that and is there then, a cost for that um, how, do, how do people sign up no i don't know better youth um you just have to they, they mostly work with, with foster youth mm-hmm. um so you just have to p- apply to the the better youth program you can just go to the better youth better youth website okay better um, youth yeah and and again i i would like to make it a, a more open forum so we'll just see how that goes um with with the different partners that we're talking talking to but we're definitely going to launch that um, when is that launching? Uh, it's going to be in January. Oh, this January, like yeah, twenty. This January oh, right now. Up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, I love are you still looking is... for students? Um, or yeah, are you booked. But but again, I don't. Yeah, it's going to be a, a small cohort to start. And again, I'm not sure how open I can make it yet. Okay. But again, get in touch with me. The best way to get in touch with me is is on, through my LinkedIn. So Eric T. Elder on LinkedIn. You could just send me a message if you're interested in that. I I, I could do this other places um, as well. You know, given time, but like. You know, again, this is going to be um, game design where the participants are actually going to do paper prototypes. So they're going to make board games, essentially, that could then later be turned into video games or XR or, or something else. So, you know, going through the, the game design process and how to make something fun and, and game mechanics and design and balance and all that stuff. Awesome. Um, the other thing um, I'm going to be doing is um, starting to work with the community college system um uh doing a kind of like upgraded version of 
my Game Wizards program that I started like 20 years ago. So it's going to be this, this, you know, kind of open forum game development. I want to, um, again, work with community college system to make this more accessible to, um, to black and brown kids, um, in that system, something that's more affordable, um, and then also I'm going to be uh, getting more into esports as well. Okay. So um, esports is a, is a great um, kind of pathway um, for our young people to get involved uh, with games uh, and game development. But there's also all of these other um, jobs that are coming down the pike as the esports industry gets bigger and bigger over the next uh, several decades. So. That's awesome. Yeah. You have been listening to Talk Tech to Me Uncut with Eric Elder and myself, Cassie Betts. You can find me at InstaBets. Uh, you can follow us. You can go to Missla.org. We will be working in the future. We've been trying for a while now to work with Eric Elder and to have some uh, video game uh, what, uh, video game design and development courses at the Best Buy Teen Tech Center and some of the other tech centers that we're building out as we speak. Thanks for kicking it with us. Next up, we have the backstory with Mache Duffy. This has been Talk Tech to Be Uncut, pushing the envelope of tech one keystroke at a time. Peace out. <laughs>